0: Good morning, morning. if you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy, I'm the pastor here at Spanish River Church, it's a joy to welcome you. We have to take care, it's a little church meeting, some important ecclesiastical business just here at the outset, it won't take long, so it's just going to be a show of hands. Uh, Those of you who believe the Bengals will win tonight, Uh, let me see, okay, those of you who believe the Rams will win tonight, Uh, Bengals kind of got this, those of you who just don't care. All right, good. Oh, oh, the don't cares have it. All right, very good. Uh, We'll just note that for the minutes. (laughs) If you're new with us today, we're in a series called King of Hope, and we're going through Matthew's gospel together. Matthew, who was also known as Levi, was writing to people of how Jesus had impacted not only his life, but had begun to change the whole world through his message and his ministry. And he takes us from the birth of Jesus and the promise in the Old Testament prophets right the way through to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right hand. And we're studying this gospel together so that we can be at Jesus' feet and hear his words and walk with him and see his mighty deeds, not so that we can have a download of information, but so that in his presence we can have the Holy Spirit do a work in us of transformation. Most Christians are educated beyond the level of their obedience. Many people already know more than they'll put into practice. The urgent need in the Christian community today is not necessarily for new or novel or more data— But for a work of grace in our hearts that transforms us according to the promise of God, that we would become those who are the image bearers of Jesus in the world. And so we're going to be looking today at a a section in Matthew's gospel, which is the first part of a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And last Sunday, we did a kind of 30,000 foot overview of that sermon. And uh, today we're going to dig into some of the details of of that first section. It's important that we understand what Jesus is doing in this message. He is summoning to himself disciples. And as we learned last week, disciple, while it certainly has some religious connotations to it, is a word in the ancient world that was an apprentice. An apprentice, that's somebody who has bound himself or herself into a relationship with A master craftsman so that the skills and the character of that master become part of the life of that person who's the apprentice. We are the apprentices of Jesus. I think sometimes people think that there's this sort of broad category of people called Christians, and then there are the, you know, like super Christians, and they're the disciples. But in fact, you know, the people with the bumper stickers that take this stuff super seriously, maybe too seriously... And we go, well, yeah, they're really serious. They're they're the kind of radical disciple stuff. But in fact, in the ancient world, Christian is a name that was given to the church by those who were outside the church. All those who were following Jesus were simply known as his apprentices, his disciples. And it says that in the Roman world, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians there. So it's actually a name that was given to people who were the followers of Jesus, the apprentices of Jesus. By the wider society, because there was something that had happened inside of them that began to show that they were following him, that they had transferred their allegiance from every earthly kingdom to his kingdom, that they were now citizens of his heavenly city, that their hearts belonged to him, and he was working in them so that his character would be revealed in them. In 2017, a man named Bill Connor took his wife and his two children down to Mexico for a vacation the day they got there his daughter Abby who was 20 at the time tragically drowned in a pool at the resort where they were staying she had when she obtained her driver's license registered as an organ donor and so out of the sorrow and sadness of that horrifying moment she was able to help a number of people that was in January of 2017. In the summer of 2017, Bill Connor, her dad, got on his bicycle, and he rode it from Wisconsin down here to South Florida. He rode it to Florida via Louisiana, so a little out of the way. And he did it to raise awareness about organ donation. You go, well, why did he, why did he, take the, why did he go to Florida via Louisiana? Well, he went there to meet the man who had been given Abby's heart, and he met him on Father's Day of 2017, and he was handed a stethoscope, and when he put the stethoscope in his ears and he held up that medical instrument to this man's heart, Lamont Frank, he heard, he heard Abby's heart beating in his chest and i believe the most critical need of our hour is this if the world had a stethoscope and they put it to the heart of the church would they hear the heartbeat of jesus or simply the rhythm of the prevailing culture whether it's a consumerist culture And we commodify Jesus and turn him into a product that we market. Or a political culture that sees everything in terms of wins and losses in an election cycle. Or a a power culture that sees everything in reference to whether or not we get ahead, no matter who we trample on. Though Jesus said, it is not so among you. He who is the greatest among you will be the what? The servant of all. In other words, to... Our hearts and lives reflect, reflect the prevailing culture of our time, or do they reflect the culture of the kingdom? That's the title of my message today, the culture of the kingdom. The kingdom, as we've learned, is an inbreaking of God's power. It's not God's general providential government of all things, which is always there, but it's, it's God breaking in. So when Jesus preaches and teaches the kingdom, you see people healed and delivered, liberated from dark powers, you see miraculous things taking place. And Jesus said, that shows you the kingdom is here. But the kingdom is not only the inbreaking of God's power into situations, transferring us from one allegiance to another, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The kingdom then becomes in us a way of living. It's a culture. It's a whole way of life. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, we have Jesus speaking of what it means to be his apprentices in the kingdom. It says here, and you can follow along with me, Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 16. If you have a Bible, please open it. Follow along with me. If You've got an app. Use that. You can follow along on the screens as well. But let's listen to Jesus call his apprentices and tell them, begin to instruct us about what it means for us to have a completely antithetical An utterly counterintuitive view of the way things are supposed to work. And they did take it seriously. They said of the the followers of Jesus, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Would that they said it again. Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his apprentices came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of my account. Rejoice and be glad. but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this is the gospel of the Lord. Won't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you please take this good word? And sow it in the soil of our hearts. Get the rocks out, get the weeds out, get the cares out. Get all the stuff that's in the way of that good seed and change us so that we may be your faithful followers. Amen. This um, section of scripture deserves weeks and weeks and weeks of attention. And a few years ago, our preaching team took the Beatitudes and did a full series on them one at a time. And I want to encourage you, go back over to the website. If you want to study this in depth, hit every single one of those beautiful series. Very thankful for that. We're not going to treat it at that depth today. We're going to, again, kind of hit this at a bird's eye view. And I want to draw for your attention, a few key issues in what he's saying to us. And this breaks down, basically, into three very clear sections for us to consider. The first section has to do with our relationship to God. The first four beatitudes have to do with our relationship to God. The next four have to do with our relationship to other people. And the final couple of things that Jesus says in this section have to do with the church's relationship to the surrounding society, about the place of the church in the world. So again, I just want to draw your attention to a few things that help us understand the seriousness of what it means to be the follower of Jesus and how he is working these values into us, which are completely contrary to the prevailing culture in which we live. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is about our relationship with God. This is where it begins. Blessed are those who understand that they are poverty stricken when it comes to our relationship with God. That we do not come to God saying, Lord, here are my treasures With which I might buy a relationship with you or here are my works that I might present to you and be pleasing to you I hope I've done enough now that you will let me into your kingdom that is not how we enter the kingdom we enter the kingdom of God not because we have the resources to come in but because we confess that we have no resources nothing in my hand I bring Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, come to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Those are the words of an old hymn, Rock of Ages. Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. This is why Isaiah said, come, come to the feast, all of you who have no money. Come, come, you have no resources. Come to a feast which is laid on for you. This is free. It's why Paul said it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And that, even the faith we have, that's not of ourselves. It, too, is a gift from God. This is why Jesus said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Because those of us who have much look at our much and think, well, well surely, surely this counts for something. God, if I, if I give enough, then God is going to accept me. But friends, what is given is the gift that God himself gives, his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his own darling, beautiful, glorious son, and he gave his life for us on the cross. Now, you can't imagine standing at the foot of the cross, being there as Christ gives his life for you, bleeding out for you shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, standing there next to Mary and saying to Jesus, that's so great. Here's my part. No. You would say, I can't believe you're doing this for me. And that one drop of your blood, that's all that it takes to forgive all my sin. I confess my poverty. This is how you enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom by acknowledging, having some self-awareness, No matter how wealthy you are materially, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it take to become a Christian? Poverty. Poverty. To acknowledge that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin we need to be forgiven of. And how much of that sin is dealt with by Jesus? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And that's why Jesus then goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Mourning is another word for repentance. When you see your own poverty, when you see the state of your soul apart from Jesus, you mourn it. You turn from sin. You grieve over it. It's not simply the self-awareness that goes, yeah, I'm a sinner. You realize that you truly have grieved God's heart, that we've lived in high-handed rebellion against God, and so we, we turn from our sin. Repentance means to have a change of mind. The Greek word means change your mind, and it means to turn around and go in a new direction in Hebrew. You take both of those worlds, put them together. What does it mean to mourn over sin? It means to learn to hate your sin. To turn from it, to change your mind concerning it, to say, this is not going to be the thing that I pursue anymore. I want to go after Christ. He is more beautiful. He's more desirable. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I do not want to be a follower of my passions. I don't want to be a slave to my lust, my anger, my greed. I want to be a follower of Jesus. So we mourn the fact that these things are deeply embedded within us and we ask the Lord to come by his spirit who is the comforter and transform us. And then he says that leads to meekness blessed are the meek they will inherit the earth the humble humility was not a value in the Roman empire any more than it is with us today if we 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 tend as christians to give lip service to humility but we're not really sure about it one fellow i know said i'd like to be humble but what if no one noticed Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. That's not what the Romans believed. The Romans believed blessed are the militaristic. Blessed are those with the power. Blessed are those with the coin. They will take over the world. And sometimes I hear Christians talking about that same kind of language. We're taking over. No, no. you receive everything as a gift because of humility. You humble yourself. God gives grace to the humble, and that means you arrive hungry and thirsty. Mary was the handmaiden of the Lord, and she said in her song, after Gabriel had visited with her and told her that she would bear the Son of God, she said, God casts down the proud and sends away the arrogant, empty-handed. So the next time you leave church and you're saying, I didn't get anything out of that, maybe, maybe the preacher's not the problem. (laughs) Just say it. If, but those who acknowledge that they're hungry and they're thirsty, Jesus says, if you come hungry, you will be satisfied, the ESV says. The old King James says, you will be filled. It's a word, I mean, this is an agrarian term. This comes from a, an agrarian culture, after all. And not all of you, you, this is a very urban, cosmopolitan, sophisticated environment. It's just like the one I grew up in in Indiana next to a soybean field. Okay. I grew up in an ag- agricultural environment and 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 the word that's used here that Jesus uses is the word that was used for force feeding cows In other words, we're going to take the food and we're just going to keep putting it in there. If you show up in front of Jesus saying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty as the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you, God is going to meet you in your hunger and thirst and he's going to keep pouring resources into your soul to fill you up to overflowing and all you have to do is come empty handed, come poor, come meek, come humble, come hungry, come thirsty and say, fill me up. You say, well, I thought I was supposed to come to church and give something. No, no, come empty. Come empty. Come poor. Come broken. Come knowing you have nothing to give. He has everything we need. Just come and stand there under the rain and let him pour his grace into your life. This is how you have a relationship with God. You don't get up in the morning saying, Lord, I've got this say lord i haven't got it fill me i can't do this jesus apart from you i can do nothing fill me and that relationship with god then begins to move you into a different kind of relationship with people blessed are the merciful they will receive mercy how many of you need mercy pastor brian spoke so eloquently about that just a moment ago his mercies are new every morning what a great word and we need them every morning so if you know you need mercy, then, of course, what do you extend towards others? Mercy. You extend mercy towards other people. In their mistakes, poi, po- the poison of bitterness, the malice that is associated with unforgiveness, the anger, all of those things are delicious. They taste so good to us. They, they, I will tell you, though, there is a sweetness in mercy, bestowing mercy. What does mercy mean? Mercy means you don't receive what you do deserve. You don't receive what you do deserve. If you're ever in church in the middle of a worship service and there's some guy standing next to you saying, Lord, give me what I deserve, take a couple of steps over <laughs> just in case God hears him and answers him. <laughs> what do we need? We need mercy. Well, blessed are the merciful. So, ha- knowing that God has had mercy, you know why there's so much mercy that is lacking in the body of Christ towards each other and towards others who are broken? Why there's so much self righteousness? Because people think that God really hasn't had mercy on them. They still tend to think that God really hasn't forgiven them. And the Bible's full of people like this. The prophet Jonah was like that. He didn't want to go to Assyria, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go over there and preach to those people. And it's not because he was scared of them, though he had every reason to be, it's because they were his enemies, and he wanted God to kill them. He said, I'm not going over there, I'm running as far away as I can, I don't have time to preach on Jonah, but eventually, of course, you know the story, he ends up over there, he preaches, and God forgives all those crazy, wicked, wild Ninevites, he forgives them. And Jonah sits down on the hill, and he's mad, and he says, I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd do. That's why I didn't want to go. I knew you'd forgive them, and I want them dead. (laughs) Aren't you glad to know that those are God's servants, just like that? This is not new. This is not a new problem, but blessed are the merciful. You see, this change, if you've received mercy, then your attitude towards other people shifts and changes. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Well, what is it? Well, see, God, no man has seen God, nor can see God. God is a spirit. God is light, and he dwells in unapproachable light. How do I see God? Jesus, on judgment day, will judge the goats and say, I was in jail. You never visited me. I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothing. I was hungry. You gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you? In jail, naked, hungry, thirsty, poor. When did we see you? And he will say, In as much as you did not do it to the least of these my brothers you did not do it unto me we don't see god in the faces of other people because our hearts are caught up with the kingdom of self but when our hearts are purified of the kingdom of self then in every person we meet we begin to see the face of god revealed in jesus christ And it changes our posture to people. That's a needy person. That's a person who's struggling. That's a person who needs encouragement. That's a person who needs hope. That's a person who I can reach for Jesus. It changes the posture we see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Of course peacemakers are called sons of God. Because the son of God is the one who came and preached peace to us. He's the one who brought us to peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. We were the enemies of God. God didn't turn us into enemies. We made ourselves God's enemies. We shook our fists at him and said, we're coming for you. We're coming for your throne. We will be our own gods. We will make our own laws. We will establish our own rule. We will be the kings. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. I will establish my kingdom. God, you're my enemy. And God looked on his enemies, and he loved them. He loved us life in Jesus he loved us to life he loved his enemies he brought peace to those who were in conflict with him through his son so of course those who work for peace in the world are called sons of God and blessed are the persecuted Jesus said blessed are blessed are those who are persecuted people say all manner of wicked things about you but notice what he says falsely on account of me because you're doing the things that I would do. Jesus, the, Jesus does not say, blessed are all those who act like jerks in my name. You cannot, it's not a blessed, not, you know, it doesn't mean that you could go out and just be a bonehead and behave badly. And when you behave badly, people go, you're, you're, you're and, you, and then you go, persecuted, persecuted, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> persecuted? No, 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 no. Not blessed are the jerks. Blessed are those who are falsely accused. Blessed are those who are telling my story with their lives, but the world doesn't want to hear it. And this leads to this final thing our relationship to the wider society. You're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Many Christians today have a domination attitude to society we're taking over. Some churches have an assimilation attitude to society. We'll just fit in. We'll just go along and get along. Some churches have a, an attitude of withdrawal. We just have preservation. We have a certain responsibility just to preserve things. And so in fear of the world, we're going to go over here, us four and no more, and the world can just go on its merry way straight to hell. Don't even have to stop in Atlanta for a connecting. Just straight on. <laughs> we're over here and we got it together. But versus separation, or assimilation, or domination. Jesus says we are insul- we are we have insulation, Holy Spirit insulation to be in the world as salt and light. And salt, listen, friends. Those of you who are chefy, you know this. You get kosher salt because the salt dissolves, and you don't see it. It goes into the food and it enriches and brings out its true flavors. It amplifies what is good in it. And it is not visible. We're not in the world going, look at us. We melt into the world to enhance it and beautify it and glorify it and bring out the goodness that God has put in it. But then Jesus goes on to say, you're the light, and the light is very visible. But the light is not drawing attention to itself. The light always points to another The church can save no one. Nobody says, come to my church to get your sins forgiven. You come to Jesus. And that's what happens here. The world looks at your life, and they see Jesus. And that points them to the Father who sent him. And so they come. Not because you're here to take over, not because you're here to be like everyone else, not because you're withdrawing, but because you're pointing Shining the light of Jesus so that other people can see him and know him. Do you get the relationship? With God first, then with others, then with the wider world. Friends, it's this way. You got to get the top button right. If you get the top button on your shirt right, if you get the top button on the blouse right, everything else will line up. You get that top button wrong, it's going to be all wanky doodle all day long. (laughs) Church is kind of wanky doodle right now. And it needs to get the top button right. Some of you need to get the top button right. What's the top button? It's a relationship with God. Come to Him. Get that relationship right first. Then the relationship with other people will begin to fall in line. Wife, husband, children, colleagues, classmates. Things begin to sort out because you get the relationship with God first right. Get that top button straight. Then the relationship with others. And as we learn to love one another, as we learn to walk in unity together... Jesus said, the world will know that the Father sent me. My friends, we can have an impact in our society. But that means we have to learn to love one another. we got to work on that relationship. Everything flows from the throne of God. The river flows from the throne. Come to the throne of God. You want to deal with stuff downriver. My marriage. My work. My children, that's downriver, get in the river to the source, to the throne. Come to the throne. Come to the throne. Come to Jesus and let him forgive you and change you and remind you that you can be his apprentice. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.